Thank you. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. There, there is quite a lot of bits of paper on your seat. If you put them, if you sit on them, sit on every one except the one that says, break up your unplowed ground. I'm not joking because I don't want you to get distracted. <laughs> so sit on them if you would. You can say, I, I went to church today and they told me to sit on it. All right. The one that says, breaking up your unplowed ground, if you get that, did you ever, did you ever watch the, the um, what's it called, the, the comic thing, the Roadrunner? You know the Roadrunner? Did you grow up with that? None of the younger people are saying, yes, maybe I'm getting old. There's this, there was this comic thing on TV, what's a cartoon, right? And on it, there was this, um, what was it, like a bird, right? And the bird used to run, and the bird used to, to, to be chased by a coyote, wildy old coyote. And the bird used to lead the stupid coyote to the edge of a cliff because the bird could fly. So the roadrunner would go along the, the mountaintop and as it went over the cliff edge, the roadrunner would keep going, but he could fly. And stupid coyote fell for the same trick over and over and coyote would run off the edge of the cliff. Listen, folks, coyote would be okay for a moment or two. And coyote would you know, tread water as it were, or, or go through the air. But there came a moment whenever the coyote realized, I can't fly. And I've gone off the edge of a cliff and now I'm suspended in midair. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel when you're wrong about something? Give me some answers. How do you feel when you're wrong? Embarrassed? Stupid? Guilty? Anymore? You're all wrong. <laughs> you don't feel like that when you're wrong. It's a very different thing. It's the same as coyote going off the mountain. So here's you. And you're running and you're running and you're running and you go off the edge of the mountain. Now you've just made a mistake. Listen folks, you're wrong, okay? But you know what? You don't know it yet. You don't know it yet. You're still running. You understand? You're still running. Now when you hit the ground, then you know you've made a mistake. So how do you feel when you're wrong? No, you don't feel embarrassed. You don't feel stupid. You feel stupid once you realize you're wrong. That's a different thing. Once you know you're wrong, that's different. When I know I'm wrong, then I'm embarrassed. Then I feel stupid. But the trouble is, being wrong, you don't feel like that. In fact, you feel as if you're right when you're wrong. Do you get it? And I want to talk today about this moment. Because one thing every person in this room has in common is we are all, in some part of our lives, suspended right there. I want to I pull out this little section here. Not when you've made a mistake and you know you're stupid. Not when you think you're going to make a mistake. But this moment, when you think you're right and you're not, how are we going to cope with that? Because this is one thing every person in the world has in common. We're all wrong about something, right? You don't, you're not right about everything, and neither am I. No one is. Right now, even though you don't know it, you're wrong. You think you're right, but you're wrong about something. Now, if that something is trivial, it doesn't matter. If that something is something that's not going to destroy your life or ruin you, then it doesn't matter. But if the thing you're wrong about is a destructive thing, if it's a decision, a direction, if it's something greatly damaging, then that's very important. And th the truth is, the things that we're wrong about, because we're Christians, when you feel as if you're right, even though you're wrong, you live inside a kind of a bubble. You're in your own little world and... You can get proud. 
You stop listening to people, etc., etc. And I want to think today for one moment about myself. And I see myself in, in, in that bubble in so many ways, in so many decisions I've made in the past. And I'm sure you've been there. When you look back, when you look back the, to the things you did, why didn't, why did I do that? Look at the mistakes I've made in my life. Oh, that was stupid. I don't want to keep on going off cliffs. Do you understand? I don't want to keep on going off cliffs. Do you? Look at me. Pay attention. I don't want to keep on going off cliffs. I don't want to live inside a bubble where people cannot come and correct me. I've got a fantastic wife. She's absolutely excellent. And I wouldn't swap her for anything. But I tell you what, she is very unteachable. <laughs> Sorry, but she is. She's always been unteachable. We're going to talk today about receiving criticism. And a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Tom asked me to teach this morning, I was driving home, I got the word for today, you know. So I turned to Jeanette, I said, I know I'm going to teach about criticism and receiving criticism. And I turned to her and I said, you're not good at this. You, you really have never been good at this. Well, if I did. That was it. I heard about it all the way to birth then, you know. You say, I'm not teachable. You're the one who's not teachable. You've never been teachable. When did I ever? Okay, 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 okay. You're driving on. Okay, okay. I rest my case. <laughs> you need to be teachable in life. What Jeanette does is she, she, she tends to react. But she's very good because a little while later she will often come back. And that's good. She'll come back and she'll say, What, what was it you said? You see, that's because there's no you know, pride there. The, the pride is weak, but the reaction is still, is still there. We all, to some degree, live inside that bubble. Now, if I see your life, if I see you just about to make a decision, you're just about to go off the edge of a cliff, and I come to you and I say, George, don't do that. You know the trouble? My comments, my words, or your wife's words, your husband's words, can just bounce off your bubble. Because you're right, right? Wrong. You think you're right. And how do we, as, especially as believers, prepare ourselves to grow in the Christian faith? For the last month or more, we've been talking about bearing fruit. Amen. Very important to Jesus Christ. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. And as a church, as individuals, you're going to bear much fruit. But unfortunately, folks, the path in that fruit involves people being able to correct you and to tell you when you're wrong. Because you are wrong about something. There are things that you're stubborn about, things that you're holding to, that I hope they're not serious. Because if they're serious, they can destroy you. So today, I hope in the name of Jesus, Father, would you give us wisdom to give and to receive criticism, biblically. Top of your notes, I've start with these three scriptures. Look at these. He who refuses instruction hates himself. Criticism is better than secret love. Poverty and shame will come to the one who rejects criticism, but he who regards reproof will be honored. He who hates reproof is stupid. And if I could have my next slide there, please, guys. Take a look at these two scriptures. These were the scriptures that came for me for today. Look at this. Proverbs says this. If you, in all your ways, your ways, we've all got ways. If you, in all your ways, acknowledge God, then God will not be blind to that. He said, I will make your path in life straight. It's easier. I will pave a way for you. If you, in all your ways, so you could be unteachable, proud, arrogant, whatever. That's a way. You've got ways. And God says, if in all your ways, and you know them, if in all your ways you bring those ways to me, and you confess them, and you repent of them, then I will come to you, and I will make the path for your future straight. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 17, this is powerful scripture, you know. God comes to us and he's talking about fruit. And he says, break up your unplowed ground and bring forth the fruit of righteousness. Two very key scriptures here. As we've been talking about 
fruit. I want to continue that, that same just for one more week. Look, two good days last week. Remember the good weather two weeks ago? I got my garden done. It's all overgrown. The grass is big. The hedges are sticking out. And because of the good weather, I got my front garden done. And if you came to see me, I'd say, look, it's great, isn't it? Praise God. But if you went round the back, <laughs> you'd say, uh, uh, Pastor Mike, uh, you've got some unplowed ground here. And so it is with our lives. That's what this is. We may be very keen to show people our fruit, but not so keen to invite them to investigate our unplowed ground. And you notice that Jesus says he wants fruit in the unplowed bit. He's asking for fruit from the bit that we're not interested in. Do you know what the fact is, folks? The truth about me is this. I bear fruit in the areas that I choose. There are things, there are parts of my life that I want fruit in because it benefits me, because it's good for me, because I'm miserable without it. There are parts of my garden, there are parts of my being and yours too that you bear fruit in because you want it. And that's not Jesus' point, you see. He said, well, what about the other bit? What about the unplowed ground? And you see, this is where discipleship comes in. You will lead yourself in certain areas. But the reason we have discipleship is because, believe me, folks, there are areas of your life in which you will never grow yourself because you don't choose to. And it's into those areas that people come and speak to you. It's into those areas that discipleship really takes a grip on us and we must be open to receive it. Do you understand me? We all have fruitfulness to some level somewhere and that my friend if you're not being discipled that is the fruit that you have chosen but it's not this it's not this particular type of fruit this is different and Jesus comes and he says that's fine remember he's like seeing it from above right and he sees all the good and all the bad and he says I want this I want all of you I want all of you I want you to break up you're on plowed ground. So this morning, that's very simply what I want to look at. A few years ago, I was walking down the road in Dublin and God spoke one of the strangest words I probably ever had. He said this to me, the church, that's us, praises fallow ground and criticizes fruitful ground. Some words are easy to understand. Some words are very difficult to understand. And I, had, I couldn't make sense of that, but I heard it. So, you know, you, know, you go home, you get a piece of paper, you write down fallow, and you write down fruitful, and you just sit and meditate. What are you saying, God? I don't understand it. So what is fallow ground? Well, you're driving down the country lane, you know, and on one side there's a field that nobody has touched. It's desolate. It's beautiful, though. The grass is green, and every time you drive past it, it's just lovely. It looks so stable. It looks so consistent. It's so restful, and it's always the same, so faithful. And on the other side of the road, there's a farmer's field. And in that field, there's a tractor. There's change, change, change. There's noise. And I began to see the difference between how God sees fallow ground and how we see it. You see, Someone can come to church. You can come to this church every week. You're stable. You look consistent. You look at peace. And you're faithful. But God says, faithful in what? Faithful in what? I, didn't, I, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to bear fruit. But the church... You know, you see it when someone dies, you know. Mr. Jones has been in the same seat for 60 years. Let's, you know, he was such a good guy and all this. Not good. Good. The church praises fallow ground. But it's not what God wanted. And it's not what God wants for you. And very often the people among us who are going through changes, yes, they are upset. And someone beside you starts crying or they need the pastors to help them, praise God, at least something's happening. At least there's a tractor in there. Amen. Amen. 
So change is, it should be applauded. We sh it should be happening. There should be turnover in our hearts, in our lives, so that we can produce good fruit. And I tell you this, folks. Fallow ground and those who live in it will always criticize fruitful ground. Always. Well, I would rather have someone who tries. The fallow people do nothing. They never try anything, never take any risks. Boring, dull. You see, I would rather have someone who takes risks and tries and makes a mess of it. Because they are to be applauded. Amen. Because you tried. You took the risk. At least you did that. Rather than sit idle. And I believe Jesus would have exactly the same attitude. So when it comes to bearing fruit, it's not an easy or quick process. And it begins by me realizing that I'm wrong. I'm plain and simply wrong. I'll be wrong till the day I die. And I will never be in a place where I don't need other people to show me where I'm wrong. And any attitude in me that says I do not need correction is totally bonkers. You're nuts. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. I didn't mean to call you nuts, you know. <laughs> you, aren't we crazy if we somehow create a, you know, a, a, an insulating bubble around ourselves and reject the help that Jesus would send our way. So point one on your notes there. Very simple. Break up your unplowed ground. Let discipleship in so that we can produce fruit. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at this. The way fruit comes and the way discipleship really takes place is plow first, seed second, harvest third. Now, notice the plows first. How can I put it? You see, you know the fallow ground? I can take the seed and I can sow. What happens to the seed? What did Jesus say? <whistles> Birds of the air. There's no... But see, see if someone repents. Do you know what happens to them? Their heart gets broken. The soil gets broken. And then they come into church on Sunday. It's a completely different experience when you're repentant. When a person is repentant, and open to correction, their heart opens, their soil opens. And then when the seed is thrown, you hear everything. Plow first. Help me. Correct me. I welcome you. Teach me. Guide me. Plow first. And then the seed of the Word will enter your heart, and then eventually we bring forth that harvest. Do you know what? Jesus says to us, this is the, one of the most... I mean, Please turn to it. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. One of the most amazing statements in Scripture. Jesus said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand any other parable. That's such a strong statement. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. <coughs> then Jesus, it's the parable of, of, of the sower, where he goes out and has all the different types of soil. Remember? And in verse 13, after describing the hard soil, the good soil, the shallow soil, in verse 13, Jesus turned to them and he said this. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Now look at me a moment. That's very important. It means you can read your Bible and understand nothing. And what Jesus is saying, look at me, please, in Jesus' name, listen and receive it. Your heart is like a field. And there's many different types of soil in you. There's parts of you are good soil. And you have produced fruit in some areas. But parts of you are downright shallow. Parts of you are unplowed. You're a field. And he's the farmer. And we need to invite him in. And he says this. He says, if you don't understand this, you're not going to get anything. If you don't understand this point, that parts of you, in parts of your life, you will produce fruit. But don't slap yourself on the back, stupid. Because you want that. You understand? You want that. You need that. Or you'll be miserable and unhappy and unfulfilled. That's not the fruit particularly that he's putting his finger on in this parable. He's saying, break up your unplowed ground. Give me all of your heart, all of your field. And let, let me sow my seed in your life. Do you understand? This is wholesome Christianity, holistic discipleship. 
But there's a process of, to get there. There's a, a pathway that he leads us on to get there. Plow first. So someone must be able to come into your life and to put their... Somebody needs to know you. I mean really know you. Someone needs to be able to read you accurately. And say, I know you. And I know what you're like. That's what we all need. And that's the nature of Jesus Christ. That's the nature of discipleship. That's the plow. Now, Jesus doesn't come to destroy. He comes to take the weeds away. And to get the rocks out of the way. And to help us to produce fruit. Fruit that will last. Point two. Learning to give and receive criticism. Not easy. I don't, you know, plenty of people can do it easy. It's not easy for me. I'm better now than I used to be. When I first got saved in this area, I wouldn't be taught by anybody. It was a disaster, you know. All the pastors, we were, you're very, very good at this, Pastor Tom. Very good. He's one of the best, most teachable, easy I've, I've ever worked with. Pastor William, myself, you and I would be very similar in terms of the way. I, this has not been easy for me. It hasn't been my natural disposition because I was a rebel, you know. So I, I, I rejected help. And then when I found myself many times down here, I thank God that one day I, you know, I came to my senses, got to the edge of that cliff, and I said, no more. And I completely changed my personality in terms of being open to correction. I completely changed me as a person. So no matter what road you've taken or no matter what your disposition is, it's okay because people change and you can change. If you've been awkward or, or, or stubborn with being teachable, you don't have to go on like that. Amen. Amen. You can change and, and be open in every area of your life. Where I come from in Belfast, we used to have no-go areas, <laughs> right? Where the paramilitaries used to block off streets. Well, God can't have that in your life, Right? Access all points. God needs access to your life freely. And when you open your gates, that's only a blessing. Point two, learning to to give and receive criticism. Well, the, the first thing I would say about that is remember that we live in a world that is highly critical. Very critical. Especially if you follow the news or you read a newspaper. Man, they tear each other to bits. Do you watch Prime Minister's Question Time, PMQs, on Wednesday? Oh, well, it's a disgrace. I mean, it's a disgrace. It's awful. What a representation of Britain around the world. It's ridiculous. Talk about it. It's terrible. It really is. And many people have complained about this over the years. Why do we broadcast this stuff? And why don't you guys smarten up and stop slagging each other non-stop every week for half an hour. The world is critical. Are you? Have you been affected by the world in which... Have we become like the world? Because in regards to this issue, we need to give criticism as Christians. No problem. But we don't give it the way the world gives it. Right. We don't do that. And it's very easy for us to make that mistake. I think PMQs is, is, a, is a national disgrace on the lead. And they're better than that. <laughs> they're much better than that. But they've got caught up with the world. Scripture, when talking about judgment, speaks that there's two different connotations for judgment or criticism, if you like. The first connotation is negative. When you criticize someone and they don't deserve it. The second connotation is very positive. Where you bring advice to someone because you want to build them up, because you want to help them. These are two very different things. Remember I told you about the lady in, in, in Ireland, Mina? She's a good friend of ours. And the ladies' ministry, do you remember that story? She wanted to lead the ladies' ministry, but she was overly tactile. She was touching everybody. She would come in on Sunday morning and walk up to me and run her fingers through my hair and sit on my knee. There was no harm in her. She was abs- She's harmless. Everybody knew her. She was a great, great lady, godly lady. But she just, this, that was her way, her way. In all your ways, that was her way. Now you try and come up here and sit on my knee and run your fingers through my hair. I hold no responsibility for her reaction, okay? <laughs> but you know, Jeanette did, did nothing and said nothing. 
because everybody knew Mina was, had a very good heart. She just couldn't talk to you without holding you, you know? And then she wanted to be a leader, and I had to wait for a couple of weeks, and then I took her out, and I said, look, Mina, I, I'm happy for you to lead the ladies, but we've got to get one way in you straight. You're touching people all the time, and I'm not judging you for that. You come in, and you're overly tactile, and that is not going to work with old people coming in, because, you know, people are all different. And we don't judge you. Everybody knows you. She couldn't cope. Couldn't cope. Wouldn't, wouldn't take the correction, remained inside her bubble, and instead produced no fruit, rejected the ministry, and stayed the way she was. She actually moved outside of Ireland. See, in the book of Galatians, it says not everybody will take correction. <clears throat> not everybody will be able to receive correction or want it. So you've got to be careful. It's like your pearls before swine. You have to be careful where you give it and hold it because it's a, it's a godly and precious thing. Oswald Chambers says this, the average Christian is the most piercingly critical individual that there is around. Now, that is very true. Now, please, just look up a moment. You're born again, right? See, when you got saved, the, the Holy Ghost entered you. And that spirit, what that spirit is like, it's like this here. Inside you, the light of God came. And that light shows up all darkness. Now, we often, we had one particular lady used to come to us all the time, and she always had this little refrain. My non-Christian friends are so much nicer than my Christian friends. When I go to work, everybody loves me. And when I come to the church, everybody criticizes me. There's a degree of truth in there because of the light. And see, you have to counsel someone like that and say, listen, love, the lost don't have light. The lost have no light. And so their sensitivity to right and wrong is not there. It's not at the same level. But when you come amongst Christians, you, born-again believer, listen to me, you have a heightened light. You have a heightened sense of right and wrong. Listen, that can make you one nasty person if you don't handle it right. That can make you one horrible, finger-pointing, self-righteous, judgmental person for a multitude of reasons. It can. We have got to learn how to handle the light and not destroy people with it, but how to use it for building up the body. Not, you know, like a hammer on people's heads. You have light within you. And for many Christians, it becomes a terrible thing for them. Here's a quote from John Stott. He says this, We need to be as critical of ourselves as we always are of others. And we need to be as generous towards others as we always are to ourselves. Good quote. Very good quote. We need to be as critical of others as we always are of ourselves, and we need to be as generous towards others as we always are to ourselves. Now, are you? Don't answer. <laughs> because I'm not. I'm not. I would be much more critical of others and very gracious with myself. And that's not good. It's not godly. It's not right. It's wrong. It's wrong. I'm wrong. So I need to be more gracious. I need to be more tolerant. I need to be sure that I'm not criticizing for the wrong reasons. And that's my next point there, actually. Just over the, over the page, the second side of your notes. Could I go back one slide there, please? This is a list of... Uh, uh, to the one, that's it, thank you. This is a list of reasons why people criticize others, and we could spend forever and a day on this list. It's a real... There's a series right there, you know. It's, it's a huge point. And these are not in any order, except the last one being probably the most common. But look, look, take a look at the first one. Ignorance. The number one reason why people criticize. I, I shared with you the last time, Stephen Covey. Remember, he was on a train. And it's a sad story. He, he was sitting on the train and uh, a guy got on with his two children. And they had chips and the father get on and he puts his head down like this on the table and the two kids start taking their chips and throwing the chips around the place. And 
They start fighting and pulling each other and Covey just gets more angry and more angry and he gets up and goes over to the man. He just loses it and says, Sir, don't you think you could do a better job in looking after those children? And the head comes up with tears streaming down the man's face. And the guy says, Their mother, my wife, has just died. Please forgive me. I just don't know what to do with them. I just don't know what to do. And Colby, ignorance. Making a quick judgment based on a momentary perception of a situation so quick to judge, so fast, and yet completely, there's two connotations with ignorance. You can be rude, ignorant, but you're just ignorant of the circumstance. And ignorance most definitely would be very high on the list of, of, of the motivations or reasons why we criticize when we do not know the story. We criticize because we need to be someone. The weaker a person feels, the more of a failure they feel, the more they will criticize others. The more they will criticize others. Now, Everson, come please. Look at this. Someone will come to me. Let's say it's, it's, it's not this man. He's a very good man. Someone will come to me with their hand out. Point your finger. And they will say, Pastor Mike, look at Leanne. What a bad person she is. <laughs> you know? And they will start. A member will come and they will say, negative, negative. Keep that finger up there. Put negative, 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 negative. You see? Now, as part of the discipleship process, you need to have a very quick reader. So you need to know the purpose and the motivations behind that, right? So when someone comes like that, you've got one thing you need to do. <laughs> so let's just make a list of the things you said about her, and these are very likely to be the issues within yourself that you can't cope with. Very likely that most, if not all of them, because we hate to see in others our own faults. And when we see them, we point them out. Now, there's another approach. Here we go again. Finger out. Stephen this time. <laughs> Stephen. And, but this time, he comes and he says, Pastor Mike, look at Stephen. I've noticed something. And do you know what? Do you know what we could do to help him? Ah, get your reader working. <laughs> Good spirit. Good spirit. Look at Stephen. I think we should do this. You should do that. I say, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. You understand? So the need to be someone is a very deep-rooted and manifold thing. It manifests itself in many different ways. Self-righteousness, and this is a crazy one, but self-righteousness is the root of, of, of much criticism. You can be ignorant, number one, you can be ignorant of the person and their reality, but you can also be ignorant of your own, and that's self-righteousness. When we don't know our own feelings or we have forgotten them, I'll, I'll cover it in a moment. False expectations. One of the reasons for great criticism within marriage, within your job, of, of us as pastors, false expectations. Great, great root cause of criticism. And criticism will kill you if you get it wrong. Many years ago... I, one pastor was leaving the church. He was upset, and we were all sitting around with the senior guy at that time. Not here. It's another place. And it was sad, you know. And the senior pastor had really, really, really helped this guy. Big time. And we all sat around, and the senior said, Well, I'm very sorry you're leaving. Is there anything you want to say? And the pastor who was leaving said, Yes. You have not helped me. You have not supported me. You have not been there for me. And it went on and on. I sat there and I thought, man. And the senior guy was devastated, you know. He was hurt, deeply hurt. And when the fella finished, the senior turned to me and said, Mike, have you got anything to... I said, yes, please. I said, he has helped you. He has supported you. He has been, but you know what? In the guy who was, you know, in his, in, in his mind, he was right. Because of, because of false expectations. 
And I, we had to try and bring his feet down to earth. What did you expect when you got married? What did you expect? And why are you so critical of your husband? Or husband so critical of your wife? Because of false expectations. Ridiculous levels of expectancy of one another. You know, levels to which people cannot reach. The scripture says when we compare each other with each other, we are foolish. And much criticism, much judgment comes by comparing our pastors, by comparing our husbands, wives. Comparison leads to criticism. And people, you know, it's it's all over the place. You've got to watch it. A wife will complain, you know, why is my husband not as smart as Everson? Or why is my husband not as good looking as, past, as Sister Jeanette? We laugh now. Comparison, comparison leads to criticism. And false expectations, they're, they're awful. I feel very sorry for people who live with false expectations because this is where they live. They live in a bubble, and it's a miserable place to be. Do you understand? So get your feet on the ground, guys. Presumptions, the next one. All kinds of presumptions. One of the things about the fallen nature is we automatically think that we're always right, (laughs) even when we're wrong. You know? You hear about the guy went to uh, the doctor, and he said, my wife's going deaf. And the doctor said, well, what we'll do is go home, and we'll carry out a little test go into the house and stand about 20 feet away from her and say, what's for dinner? And if she doesn't answer, just go to 15 feet, say, what's for dinner? And then go to 10 feet and then 5 feet and see how close you can get. So the guy goes home and he says, what's for dinner? Not a word. So he goes to 15 feet. What's for dinner? Not a word. 10 feet. Not a word. 5 feet. What's for dinner? And she turns and she says, for the fourth time, chicken. We automatically presume... Some of you are just getting it, right? We automatically presume that the fault is with the other person. Listen, in the name of Jesus, listen. That's the point. You automatically presume that the other person is wrong. And humility doesn't do that. Humility has burst that bubble. That's pride. That's pride. That's the presumption that I am not just right, but I'm always right. That's pride. Rotten, stinking pride. And that bubble's got to be burst so that there is an openness, a genuine receptivity to anyone, our disciple or anyone, who lost or saved, by the way, because the lost can be good guides as well, who comes to you and says, can I just point this out or point that out? Presumptions. Jealousy. It's the root of much criticism. Now, we don't see much jealousy around but people have the funniest way. Whew. You know, one guy left this church because we went on TV. It's ridiculous. Most of us will never do anything for anybody to be jealous of. Do you understand? People won't be jealous of you because you, you haven't done anything. But this was a Christian who felt he wasn't living up to his own call and his own vision. And when we went on TV, he began to change. And he started to criticize me. And I heard about it. (laughs) He's saying this about you. I I was puzzled, you know. I was a little hurt, but I was more puzzled. I thought, what's he criticizing me? I haven't done anything. I'm just doing my work. And then I heard he's leaving. And he came to my house, very sad, actually. But he still left, very sad. And as he was leaving and walking away down my driveway, he turned and he said, Pastor Mike, Sometimes people get jealous. There was the root. You're so devastated that you have not followed your own vision. You understand? That the the way that criticism is coming out of you, you're self-condemned, and it's coming out of your mouth in the form of criticism, a bit like you were doing there, Everson. It, it, It shows an inner flaw, and that just breaks my heart. But see in work if you do well. If you get the promotion, if you do this, what, 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 what will come your way? Jealousy. And jealousy can lead to much criticism. Pride. 
And the last one is the most important one for us to realize is that when people criticize others, you've got to, you know, put your radar on and realize that what do they say about when you point the finger? Always remember that you're actually highlighting, look at me! The thing that I point out in others, I've got that! I'm asking for help! I'm asking you to help me! That's what it is. That's why there's one pointing forward and four pointing back. So for heaven's sake, as disciples, as cell leaders, don't just let someone criticize, but be aware when they do that. It's a, it's a cry for help. It's an inner cry, and that's perfectly okay. They just need to learn to cope with it. Next slide, please. Now, there's three, three principal reasons why people criticize wrongly. Number one, they're trying to cover up their own faults. Number two, they're ignorant of their own faults. Sorry, I put that down. Three, to, uh, ignoring. Ignoring their own faults. Or number three, they're ignorant of their own faults. Now, remember, Jesus dealt with this very bluntly. He said, how can you criticize another and try to take the, the speck from their eye when you have a, when you have a log in your own eye? First of all, take the log from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to help your brother. So when people come to you with any form of criticism, good thing to do is open the gates of your heart and ask your, just let them speak and see, let them talk and see if there's any truth in it. Most criticism has some truth, okay? But it may not all be true. And you need to weigh in the balance and find what's true and then in a peaceable, agreeable, good Christian spirit, you say, thank you, brother, thank you, sister, for bringing that to my attention. And then you, what not, won't you? You say, thank you, brother, thank you, sister, for bringing that to my attention. I agree with this and with that and with this. However, I think you have misread this bit. And you can talk about that. You don't have to just let people dump on you. And you can analyze that and discuss it. And fruit will come in your unplowed ground. But it's people. Remember? If you don't understand this, we're not going to understand anything. You will bear fruit where you choose because it benefits you. But there are other parts of you into which people must come and point out and help you, prophesy and guide you. And that will break down your pride. This is the interdependent nature of discipleship as Jesus has constructed it. Now, next slide, please. This is my last slide, and, and most important one, I guess. Next one, please. Next one, please. <laughs> That's it. I love this because I, I, I know it works. How, does Jesus, how would Jesus criticize you? Number one, by your ability and effort. Let me show you it in Scripture so you've actually got it to take home. Matthew chapter 25, verse 15 Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. This is where Jesus talks about the abilities that we all have and how they differ. We're not all the same. Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his what? Ability. So not everybody has the same ability. Right? Wives are different, husbands are different, bosses are different, pastors are different, leaders are different, disciples are different, everybody's different. And the, 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 the horrible thing about criticism is that we apply criticism to the wrong place. We expect everybody to be like us. And if you're not like me, I'm going to criticize you. Taking no regard of the differing abilities within the body. Many people do this. Many Christians do this. Everybody's different. And another thing we do is we compare our strengths with other people's weaknesses. You understand? We're very good at that. We think about what we're good at. And then we find someone who's not good at it. And we compare ourselves with them. We compare our strengths with other people's weaknesses. And so secretly, we're building ourselves up. 
inflating ourselves. And that's an abuse of the abilities that God has given us. I grew up, as you know, in a family of nine, and the, 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 the abilities were very varied. My sister won a scholarship to Oxford out of you know, 500. It was two scholarships. She got one of them. Very smart, you know, and, and brother, sister, all high, high achievers. And then there was me. Hallelujah. <laughs> I had no academic ability at all. I, 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 was, I, was, I suppose I was a daydreamer in some ways, but I did have a spiritual start. That's where I was. And I thank God that I was number nine. I thank God. It's the greatest blessing you ever gave me, God, that one thing, that I wasn't the first child. I was the last one. So they had all the practice. So by the time they got to me, they didn't make those mistakes. And my parents did not hold me accountable to my elder brother's abilities. He had abilities, great abilities, or to my sister's She had great abilities, but guess what? I'm not them. I am me. And how wicked it is when we hold up standards. Who's the architect? God, not you. What are you? The builder. Now, a bad builder takes someone and makes them in their own likeness. And forgetting the fact that your children were designed by God Almighty and given to you by God Almighty as a trust, as a temporary trust, a temporary charge. He is the designer. He designed the personality, the character, to be as he wanted it. And we have no right to try and deform that or make it in our own image, but rather let the child develop and let them be who they are. I mean, release that. Guide it, discipline it, but release it. And by the time I, I, I was growing up, I thank God that my parents had all those years of experience. And as far as I can remember, I think I was the only child out of the lot that my dad took out every week. We went for about 45-minute walk alone in the park. And on that walk, we talked about God. And he would tell me what he was doing and tell me how to pray and talk about this. And I think he had made so many mistakes they thought, I'm not going to get this one wrong. I'm not going to get this one wrong. Everybody's different, folks. Everybody in this room is different. And you don't need to let other people put weights on your shoulders that God doesn't intend you to carry. But nor do you want to put weights on other people's shoulders. Don't be unfair. Because ju God judges on ability and effort. That's all. Remember John chapter 21. I love this. John chapter 21, verse 15. I love this scripture. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than ye these? Yes, Lord, he replied. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verily I say unto you, when you were younger, you, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. You planted your own fruit. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will point out to you the area of your life in which I'm going to take you. Jesus said it, this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus turned and he saw someone else. He saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. This is the one who leaned back on the Lord at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When, Jesus, when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that got to do with, mind your own business, if I can put it in modern parlance, right? Mind your own business. And this is us, folks. Listen, life is not fair. Life is not fair. So don't start telling God it's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. Linda Murray just died. Her husband just died. Her son died in the bed not many years earlier. Is that fair? Whenever your family may be alive and well, is that fair? No, life's not fair. And you will, Peter's right on the brink of getting critical here about John. As soon as he gets his own weight on his shoulders, his own task to do, he doesn't want it. It's too heavy. And it comes out in criticism of another brother. What about him, Lord? Never mind him. Stop criticizing. 
and you walk with me. Come, follow me. God criticizes on the basis of ability and effort. We need to learn to listen before we speak. Scripture says you should be slow to speak and quick to listen. But the fact is we don't even give people seconds. Seconds. And thus we don't understand. We were in Heathrow Airport recently and Jeanette's got, like Davis, Jeanette and Davis have the same problem. They've got night blindness. They can't see black on black. Can't see it. And we were going through the passport checkout, the modern, the new one that scans you. You don't have to get searched or anything. And I'm in my lane and she's in her lane. And I look over and I notice that she's not going to be able to see it because it's too dark. And there's a guard there. And I go through, I do mine, and I say, excuse me. She, could you just keep, keep moving through? Excuse me, I just wanted, she can't, be quiet, keep moving. You're not allowed to stop there. Slow to speak, totally ignorant of the circumstance. And leaving, left her stranded there. How quick we are to judge. How fast we are to judge. Listen to other people. Listen to their problems. Give them time to speak. Because sometimes it really hurts to get that ground plowed up. Okay? The last one. Don't, don't secretly build yourself up. Let me finish with a, a quote from Oswald Chambers. He says this. We will never be able to constructively criticize others until we have first come to know ourselves. We will never be able to constructively criticize others until we have first come to know ourselves. This afternoon, I could go home. And instead of standing in my front garden and saying, look, look at it, it's great. Do you know what I should do? I should go into my back garden and I should start taking the log out of my eye. And do you know what? As I'm repairing my, I might just see someone else in theirs. Hey, how are you doing? Totally different attitude. It's hard, isn't it? You got those rocks too? Yeah, and me. Do you want me to come over and help you and then you can come over and help me? Totally different attitude. Take the log, my friend, out of your eyes. And then, with a good spirit, we can help one another and bear fruit. Amen? God, as we open up the gates of our lives and our hearts, would you reveal to us anything that's wrong? Where am I wrong, God? Where am I wrong in my marriage? Where am I wrong with my children? Where am I wrong as a Christian in my relationship to the church, with my finances, in my job? We're all wrong, God, in some way, all of us. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, show us where we're wrong. And we will put it to rights. We will dig up that on plowed ground. And we commit ourselves to you. I commit the future to you. There's so many churches being planted. I pray that we, as a local congregation, will put our shoulder to the plow and get involved.